I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. It's Sunday night, and on Sundays we do what we do on every race weekend, and that's discuss the race that was. Mark and Mark here back in the studio to discuss the Bahrain Grand Prix. And Mark, I, I can tell you right now that uh, ten years from now, five years from now, nobody's going to remember that Lewis Hamilton won this race. This is going to go down in infamy as the race that Roman Grosjean walked away from a, a massive fireball with only the minorest of, uh, of, of burns on the back of his hand. And that was, as they say, scary AF because I, I could not believe what I was seeing. I, anybody that watched that race, uh, whether it be there live or at home on the television, that was absolutely shocking. And I cannot believe a number of things. I can't believe that he went through the barrier the way that he did. I can't believe that the car broke in half. I can't believe that the the, the wheels separated from it. I can't believe that the the, the fuel um, the, the fuel tank or the feed or whatever it was like it leaked the way that it did because that fireball was supposedly caused by only about two liters of, of fuel, which you know is, is a fair amount, but still just absolutely shocking and when i saw that big flame like because we were looking down that straightaway after that little series of corners after start finish and when i saw that car go off it uh, i thought oh here we go this is just like uh, kubica in montreal a number of years ago and then all of a sudden we saw roman hit the uh the the, the, the barriers we saw the, the the flames and i thought to myself oh shit <laughs> you know pardon my french but that was scary and first of all the, my first reaction was oh my god who was that and oh my god are they okay and then you just start thinking about the worst possible case scenario when you see that amount of fire and i just could not believe it because it was scary because i mean they immediately cut away from the 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 live video to see what was going on and i don't do not disagree with that you do not want you do not need to see that live you don't need to see that period but that was a scary 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 moment yeah it was i'm still you know it's 12 hours later and and i'm i'm still processing what we saw and 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 i it really hasn't sunk in yet and you know, you had sent me this great BBC article earlier today, and it referenced a couple of things. You know, the last time we saw an F1 car split in half like this was at Monaco in 91. The last time we saw a fireball that even remotely resembled this was at Imola in 1989. The last time that we saw a car pierce an Armco barrier was in the early 70s, and it happened twice. And in both of those cases, it results in a fatality. And we saw all of it in one incident. And and it's it's crazy as well because... We're three corners into the race, mm-hmm. right? Like this is, if you look at the television ratings of a Formula One race, they start high, they dip in the middle. And then if it's an exciting race, they pick up again at the end. So yeah. when this happened, like viewership was at its peak. Everybody's watch. It's an exciting race. You know what? The drivers are, are jostling for position. And then all of a sudden this, and the other thing too, is oftentimes these incidents aren't captured live. So the broadcaster has time to assess, Hey, is there a potential injury? Is there a potential fatality? If so, let's keep the cameras off it. In this time we saw the explosion live. And, and I think that's what was so remarkable about, about this moment. And to your point, I completely agree from an F1 perspective, from a, a sky sports perspective, who ultimately packages up and distributes the race. They, they, they were great not to show it because they didn't know. But in the two or three minutes, and it felt like it was half an hour. Oh my in god! In those yeah. two or three minutes, it felt like an eternity because we knew nothing, and all we could all we could take away from the, that was the fact that we saw a fireball unlike anything I've ever seen watching Formula One live. And again, to your point, like in my head, I'm just playing through the worst case scenario. Like 
this isn't good. Like, how did that happen? And then in my head, I'm thinking, you know, with the modern F1 car, like the way these cars are built with the survival cell and the placement of the fuel tank and the fuel lines, like how could that even happen? And were there two cars involved? And then slowly we were able to start unpacking exactly what had happened. And fortunately we get the great news that he's being extracted from the car. Uh, and then finally there's the sense of relief, but like your adrenaline's running. And mm-hmm. from that point on, and I know you feel the same way, like I tuned out on the rest of the race. Like it was on in the background eventually, but I was on, I was on F1 Twitter and I was on F1 Reddit and I was yep. just absorbing all of the feedback and all of the reaction to what, what had been kind of witnessed. And I think a lot at that point, it was a lot of speculation. Was he at fault? Was he not at fault? Um, obviously, there's going to be some massive investigations from the FIA and from the circuit owners and from Haas and Formula One and Liberty to understand what had happened and what worked well and what didn't work well. Ultimately, though, all I can say is, thank goodness, he's, he's relatively unharmed. Um, and, and I think... I think we'll probably get into this as well. No question that the halo was absolutely, and I don't, this doesn't, isn't intended to sound like a pun or cliche, but the, the, the halo ultimately parted the Armco barrier and allowed him not only to become not decapitated, mm-hmm. but ultimately allowed him the space necessary to extract himself from the cockpit. But again, you know, 12 hours later, the adrenaline's still running, especially when I start to replay it in my head again. <laughs> It, it it was one of those moments that uh, you you will just not forget when uh, when you go back and and think about this over the years that that it will be one of these moments that will will stick in your mind long term. I mean, we we were joking about it uh, earlier in the day or earlier this week. I sent you one of these uh, memories off of my Facebook. I think it was from 2012. I remember it. <laughs> yeah, it said yeah. just watch Seb win his third world title. Now I'm off to go and uh, watch Paul McCartney because it was always a bucket list thing for me. I wanted to see a Beatle uh-huh. play a concert, and I'm like, <laughs> I remember the McCartney. Movie. A concert like was yesterday I'm like, i do not watch or remember watching that race but i mean joking aside i mean this whole situation with roma i mean that that was just it was absolutely frightening but i think that the that the the, the halo argument was for the most part settled a couple of years ago when we had that first corner incident at la source at spa yeah. when nico hulkenberg yep. plowed in the back of fernando fernando went up in the air went over Absolutely. the top of uh, Charles Leclerc's uh, car and he had a, like a little bit of a rubber um, skid mark on his helmet and then you know the the, uh, the 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 halo was all chewed up a little bit that then started to prove the worth of the halo but today absolutely that like you say i mean it it, it saved roman uh, from losing his head literally and also obviously saved his life but the the other thing that I found astounding was just the way that that the the cockpit the, the the survival cell of that car was wedged in the Armco barrier and the way that it was rotated Unreal. ninety degrees like on its uh, like on the axis laterally and then also longitudinally as well I mean and the thing was too that when you saw all the fire and everything it was actually on the underneath of the car and I'm like my goodness because when you saw those pictures afterwards it was absolutely I mean, the, the photography and the camera work was absolutely uh, amazing because all of a sudden you see, you see the first one you see is you see it from behind the car. So you're looking at it basically elevated, but from from the, the, the infield and you just see smoke, you see fire, you see some of the marshals and the firemen rushing over there with extinguishers and hoses and stuff trying to get it going. You see the medical car coming along and the yeah. medical delegate and then more marshals and stuff. And all of a sudden you see Roma and like pop out, but it wasn't until later they they provided that other camera angle from the far side of the track on the side of where the where, where the grandstands are and you can actually see him sort of struggling to get out of his yep. belt and then he pops yep. up and then you know mark my words that that those pictures of of Roma hopping over the armco barrier being pulled out by the medical delegate that is going to be something we're going to see for years and years and years to come and i mean it, it is just it is frightening because i mean he's smoking you can see his overall smoking you can see the that his helmet is looks like it's it's charred and melted and things like that and you because you, you saw that like poor Roma he's, he's sitting in the back seat of the medical car I mean he's obviously dazed I mean there, there's got to be some PST going on there I mean that is uh that 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 was something I mean that the, the fact that after all that he only has minor burns to the back of his hands um uh, you know because I mean number one that could have been a Nicky Lauda's situation with massive burns and everything I mean he could have been killed and you know, I, I don't. It's hard to 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 really make um, you know comparisons between things. I mean, like you said, we had all these like these unprecedented you know an overused word from twenty twenty, but uh, you know so many things 
all these different things that we haven't seen for like years and in decades in some cases, which were all isolated incidents on their own, all wrapped into one accident to today was absolutely astonishing because i mean just rewind it a couple of years ago to suzuka and you look at what happened with uh, you know poor old jules bianchi uh, rest in peace i mean that looked like a fairly innocuous and, and very you know yeah. it did not look like a an accident where it would result in such horrible injuries that he would eventually you know succumb to them a number of weeks or months uh, afterwards i mean with i mean this is one of these ones where you saw it immediately it's like Oh my God, there is no way that that, whoever that is, is getting out of that car and walking away, you know, if he's still breathing at this, uh, at this moment. And, and that is what's uh, so astounding. I mean, but if you go back and you re- rewind that whole thing, you, you watch the cars get away from start finish. You see what's happening at the front. You see Bottas is a bad start. You see everybody kind of squabbling. But there in the middle, you've got some Alphas. You've got some Ferraris. You've got some McLarens. You've got an Alpha Tauri in there. And you go around and you got Lance Stroll running across. And then I, I know Karuna Chandok, uh, he mentioned there was a bit of a debris going along or coming out from, from somewhere that may or may not have had something to do with it. But I think what happened was there was a bit of a, a squabble. I think that the, the field was compressing a little bit in front of Danny Kvyat and Roman Grosjean and I think what uh, what Roman was doing, I think that what, at least from my point of view, is that I think with the the, the cars weren't accelerating as fast as he was because he and the Kvyat were a little bit further back. They they you know not by a lot, but just enough that that he must have felt he had enough speed that if he went around, he could maybe overtake and maybe get away instead of plowing up the back of somebody's uh, gearbox. Unfortunately, he pulled over. I guess he didn't see Danny Kvyat there, hit his tire. But the thing that was frightening about, because you had that Armco barrier coming out at a bit of an angle to a slip road there, which with the the, the Marshall sta- uh, Station must be, and I'm thinking, I don't know for 100%, would be where if somebody had a mechanical failure, maybe that's one of those access points you park there, and they'll pull you back uh, without having to pull out the safety car of a virtual safety car, whatever, whatever it might be. But the thing is, after his right rear tire hit Danny Kvyat's left front, he basically went into that Armco barrier at 90 degrees. I mean, he basically hit it to perpendicular to the, the that Armco barrier. And we'll find out afterwards. He probably hit that thing at like 70 Gs, 75 Gs. It's going to be some astronomical amounts that, that we're going to see. I mean, he basically went from probably 175 miles an hour to zero in something ridiculous, like half a second or something like that. I mean, it, it was just frightening and 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 that's why he plowed through it uh, but i mean there are a number of things that they, that they need to 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 look at i mean Danny Kvyat, I mean, obviously the guy has the, the, the reputation, I think, from his previous stint in Formula One before he had that year out as a sim driver for uh, Ferrari a couple of like a, what was a year or two ago and, and 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 deservedly so. But I think that year out kind of gave him a little bit perspective, a little bit more mature. He's kind of, for the most part, stayed away from the situations like that. But, you know, maybe Lance Stroll might uh, beg to differ, but we'll talk about that uh, further into the, the into the show. I mean, he was very much minding his own business i don't think he was to at all to blame for that it was just a, a racing incidents with with potentially horrible outcome and uh but i i mean so that that's one thing that you you, you can take out of it but the, the other thing is too is like how did he punch through the, uh, the, the 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 barrier why did the car shear in half how did the fuel spill and everything like that I mean, and the other thing is, too, is, I mean, you saw the one tire fly off the the, the car and become detached from the front, ended up in the infield. The other one shooting across the track on on the left-hand side. I mean, there's a number of things. I mean, Ross Braun, the the, the managing director of uh, motorsport for Formula One, said that they're going to have a deep dive, a mega investigation into this. And I think that they have to. I mean, uh, there are so many things that have happened in this accident, and they need to look at it, regardless of the outcome. And I mean, fortunately, this is is best-case scenario. I mean, the fact that uh, that that all he has is minor burns is uh, nothing short of uh, miraculous. Our our house is uh, immediately adjacent to a, a fairly busy intersection here in Coquitlam, and on, on Saturday, you know, we're we're in the house, we're doing some chores, cleaning, and we hear this 
bang. And we, we ran straight to the window and there'd been a big, big car accident in the middle of the intersection. And I, I guess what had happened was a car was advancing through the intersection on a green light. Um, a car was attempting to turn right simultaneously. This white RAV4 that was attempting to go through the intersection hit this uh, gray Hyundai Velocitor in the front left quarter panel. So immediately in front of the driver's side door, the, the Velocitor was shredded shredded in pieces everywhere. The RAV4 was shattered just in pieces everywhere. Fortunately, everyone was was physically okay, um, but the driver of the Velocitor had to be extracted by fire and paramedics. We we saw this in real time. And 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 it was interesting because I, I don't doubt that the RAV4, which made impact with the Velocitor, was probably doing more than 50 or 60 kilometers an hour. It's not, it's not a high-speed intersection. But just to see... Just to see the impact, and, and my wife and I were watching this and we're absorbing it and we're thinking the poor individual in the cockpit of that Velocitor was in shock, was mm-hmm. suffering PTSD, you know, it was probably disoriented, probably had no idea what had happened. And then I, I, I relate now to the Grosjean incident and BBC's reporting that he was doing 200 kilometers an hour when the car hit the Armco barrier and the force was 53 Gs. There you so go. So yeah. just like immeasurable immeasurable speed and force the fact that he was conscious enough to be able to understand the seriousness of the circumstances to get out of the seat belt and to be able to orient himself in the direction of the support medical staff was like it's just the fact that he survived but that he was subsequently able to extract himself from that situation is is remarkable and to your point as well i think one, we're we're lucky it happened when it did, right? Like if you're 20 laps into this race and the field's not as compact and the safety car is in the is in the pit lane, you know it's it's going to take them another 30, 40, 50 seconds to get out there. Yeah. Fortunately, because it's lap one, they were still there, so the circumstances were helpful. But to your point, one of my takeaways as well was that when you saw that initial shot with the explosion, you could see those two tires separating, and the entire design of these cars is to tether those tires to the chassis to protect other drivers, to protect marshals, and to protect the audience. You know, we've seen in the past in Indy and NASCAR where Mm -hmm. separated tires can be lethal to spectators. But to see two of them separate, like, to your point as well, like, whenever whenever the kind of completed investigation is released, I, I will want to read it and understand what the circumstances are. Because to your point, he pierced the Armco barrier and it, it may have been the angle, it may have been the speed, it may have been the G-force, but the car was embedded within it. And, and once again, if not for the halo, even if he'd survived the impact, he would have been trapped inside that car. Yeah. But the halo created a space big enough for him to be able to extract himself from that vehicle. But, you know, I, I'm still I'm still a little bit in shock and I I'm incredibly grateful. I, I think, and you know, you and I talked a little bit about this and Total Wolf had made that comment that, hey, you know what? If the outcome had been worse, we wouldn't have completed the race. Nobody was going to complete that race. Yeah. You know, ultimately, if the outcome had been worse, I don't think they would have completed the season, to be totally honest. I The championships decided yeah. there's no value. You, you're not refunding tickets. Just wrap it up and exactly. move on and reboot yeah. for next year. So I thought that comment was, uh, it was appropriate, but a little bit hollow because I don't think anybody would have kind of proceeded. But yeah, it was... It was startling. And to your point as well, like I remember certain moments. I remember I remember where I was when Hamilton's engine failed in Malaysia in 2016. <laughs> I, I don't remember the title win in 17 or 18 or 19, but I remember that moment. I remember I remember the title decider in 2016 and the title decider in 2014. I will never, I will never forget this moment. Um, and again, fortunately, there was a, a positive outcome. And and the other thing too, and, and I, I I was really eager to get your thoughts on this, but Daniel Ricardo, uh, obviously very shaken up and, and very sensitive to what had happened, was very 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 critical of the amount of exposure the accident was getting on the broadcast and through other Formula official Formula One channels. Um, he was very critical of it. I think obviously if the outcome hadn't been positive in terms of Grosjean's health. I don't think the broadcast would ever have shown anything. And I think that would have been appropriate that we don't need to see it. We don't need to be witness to what could have potentially been a fatal accident. But I I will note this, that when I went onto Twitter and when I went onto social media following the race and even during the race, the official Formula One channel was showing every angle. They were all over this. So again, at that point, we knew he was safe. He was 
out. He had some burns. But I, I thought it was kind of curious that Formula One was cashing in because presumably they understood that there were going to be clicks and people were going to be looking for this. But I'm still a little bit mixed on whether it was appropriate for them to showcase the accident. Like, obviously, from a Formula One perspective, these are these social media channels are a marketing vehicle. You mm-hmm. know what? You want to promote your sport and attract new viewers. I don't know if I felt so good about them showing like, hey, look, there was this near miraculous survival of one of our drivers like I I feel a little bit uncomfortable about the fact that they were so quick to to broadcast what had happened I I don't know how to articulate this but I'm kind of curious as to what you thought well I definitely have some uh, thoughts on this Mark and I'll share them with you just in this uh in a short moment here after we take our first break here on the Overtime Media Network how's that for a hanger Uh, (laughs) (laughs) we'll do so just a moment so don't go away we'll be right back passion drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, You'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. We're talking the Bahrain Grand Prix. And of course, uh, there is only one really big topic to uh, talk about, and that is the the, the Grosjean accident. And uh, we were just talking about uh, before the break, Danny Ricardo's comments uh, about uh, he was not in favor. He was very upset and felt uh, it was very disrespectful that they, they broadcast, uh, broadcast it uh, because of that. Um, you know, I, I've got mixed feelings on that as well. Uh, number one, if if there was serious injury or any kind of injury and um, or, or or worse, obviously that that should not be uh, shared with the uh, you know broadcast anywhere. But I think that um, since he walked away, I, I don't I do not have an issue with it uh, because number one, he's OK. And number two, there's all these bad things uh, going on that I, I, I think that. Uh, I don't see a problem with it. I can understand uh, Ricardo because I can imagine that uh, for um, a Formula One uh, driver having an accident of that magnitude, I suppose in in a way it could be a very personal, maybe a very intimate moment, you know, when you're at your most vulnerable. I I totally get that. I I totally uh, understand that. And that's why if there's any sort of like injury involved, that that, that is just not, uh, that's just not something that should be shared in, in the public. Whereas, uh, you know, on the other side, you know, sort of promoting it kind of like on that clickbaity part. Yeah, I've got mixed emotions about that, too. Like, of course, you know, like it, it draws eyes to it. I mean, uh, the, the only and, and and here I am, I've got a gif already, uh, you know, like uh, preloaded of the of the moment where he's hopping over the Armco barrier. I mean, I mean, talk about a picture that speaks a thousand words that that image really is one. But you know, it, it really is a, it really is interesting. I mean, because um, there was one tweet that we had from a longtime listener of the show, uh, Jordan Wong, and let me just uh, pull it up. Uh, and Jordan has to say, I want to see the uh, onboard of the crash on live TV. They paused his onboard right before the accident, but I want to see how the halo saved him. And I totally agree. I mean, at the beginning, before, like, you know, when everything was still uncertain, is he okay? You know, what, what's going on? I don't mind them cutting it away. But the fact that he's okay, and there, I mean, there's so many things that we, we've talked about that it's the, the first that uh, it's happened since this year or this year, or I mean, it's been years and, and decades. And uh, I mean, at some point, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be like the blink of an eye. I mean, it'd have to be super slow-mo. And of course, I'm, I'm sure on the point of impact, it's just going to, you know, that, that camera 
camera was probably destroyed anyways and it's just going to go into you know just be like a snowy test pattern or whatever it is once that 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 camera's uh you know uh stopped uh, functioning but I mean, the way that that that's, you know, that monocoque and, and going back to your, your comments before, I mean, especially like how these tires are tethered, like like the, the, the front suspension to keep them from breaking away and potentially injuring somebody being a track worker or, a, you know, like a cameraman or a spectator or something like that. I mean, the thing is, the way that these cars are supposed to design is that the energy of the crash is supposed to dissipate the energy, you know. But I mean, usually a, a crash is kind of slow motion. I mean, in respect to like the, the the Grosjean accident. I mean, it still obviously happens in, in, in the blink of an eye. But in the normal accident, you have two cars, say somebody crashes up the, the, the backside of someone or two cars come together. I mean, over the course of a couple of seconds, I mean, these cars are going to kind of disintegrate and they're going to do these things. I mean, this th- this was instant. I'm sure that this is what's going to come out in the in- investigation is the fact that he went from 200 kilometers an hour to zero in, in the blink yeah. of an eye is going to have a lot to do why the front suspension you know, the, the broke apart and started flying around in different directions uh, like it did. I mean, it doesn't make it any less uh, serious, but uh, that that's obvious. I mean, and, and this was a worst case scenario for, for a lot of different reasons and and this of course will come out in the formula one uh, in investigation but i mean sebastian vettel uh, was saying that uh, those armco barriers are obviously not supposed to to to, to fail like that so I went back uh, to take a look at it. So the the, the Bahrain International Circuit it, it's it's a modern circuit. It's not the newest that we have on the uh, on the calendar. It was opened in two thousand and four. So we're we're looking at a track that was designed roughly twenty years ago, designed and built. So the thing is that that slip road was not you know similar to that where you have that hairpin in Montreal where you had that concrete sort of half wall that came out just before you come down to into the hairpin where they have like I think a big um, you know the the the, not a timing board but the you know with the 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 positions on stuff where where uh, Robert Kubica had that uh, infamous uh, (laughs) accident what was that in 2008 but that that was similar in, in some degree i mean but the thing is he didn't hit it at 90 degrees he sort of hit it on a bit of an angle and that shot him back across the track and then he ended up uh, you know like further down to the left side of the track whereas he hit it on the right side of the track but that's you know in that incident i mean that car really broke apart uh in in a in a much more i don't want to say controlled manner but in, in a manner where the, the the way that the, the the accident dissipated the energy. I mean, still by the time that car came to arrest that Williams, or was it the Sauber? What was it? Was that a Sauber? I don't remember. Sauber. It was a Sauber, wasn't it? But I mean, still, it was the survival cell. But I mean, that accident unfolded over a number of seconds from the the, the moment that he hit the wall, even though that was on a similar type of a, a angle, different material. But uh, that, that's like I say, it sort of unfolded over a you know a, a, a number of uh, seconds. I mean, I think I I think he did he lose the wheels. I don't remember. I have to go back and and look at it. But uh, the, the the point is, I mean, because I was thinking my first reaction is, what the hell is that Armco barrier doing there anyways? But when you see what it is, you know, it looks yeah. like an access point. And regardless of, uh, I, I mean, that is just, when that circuit was obviously designed and built, this was not a scenario that anybody could ever imagined what would have happened to have a car hit it at a right angle at uh, at that uh, at, at that speed i mean i'm i'm sure they thought if anything happened it would be something where it hit it maybe glance off of it uh, you know <laughs> but i mean when he went over the car i mean uh, kvyat's car i mean he was he went over it and then boop, right angle and that was that that's really what uh, made it so 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 frightening i mean it uh, really um really brings uh, formula 1 in, into perspective and and uh, lewis uh, you know i mean uh, he had to lay or uh, weigh in at it as well and uh, I, I think this was uh, you know a, a very good point because if you look at the pictures of uh, the, the the survival cell of that has i mean after it's all broken apart it's covered in uh, you know the, the the fire retardant and everything like that there is not a lot left of it i mean a lot of the bodywork is just melted away or broken away and uh, what is left is just a charred nasty mess and uh, anyways, I'll just read the uh, the, the, the quote uh, from uh, Lewis Hamilton. He had to say, quote, it was such a shocking image to see when I get in the car. I know I'm taking that risk and I respect the dangers that there are in this sport. I posted about it on social media whilst I was in the, the, the break because it's horrifying. The cockpit, I don't know what G's he pulled, but I'm so grateful that uh, the halo worked. 
and grateful that the barrier didn't slice his head off or something like that. It could have been so much worse. It's a reminder us to us and hopefully to the people that are watching that this is a dangerous sport. We are out there pushing to the limit and that limit it needs to be respected. I think it shows what an amazing job F1 has done and the FIA have done over time to be able to walk away from something like that. But of course, that will be investigated and they will do a lot of work to try and make sure it does not happen again, end quote. So, I mean, I don't think that there's anything you can really add to that quote from from Lewis Hamilton. I mean, and, and I think that really does go to show you the, you know, the, just the advances that they have in safety. I mean, the spectacle and the enjoyment of the, the, the sport is, is one thing. And I mean, uh, the fact that you know, we... We, we rarely see incidents of this magnitude and you know, the accidents we do see, fortunately, most times the results, uh, you know, are, are very, very minor if there's anything at all. I mean, it just goes to show you just the, you know, the, you know, how strong these carbon monocoques are and the safety standards that they have. But I mean, this, you know, just like Lewis uh, says, I mean, it really is a stark reminder to the, 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 the danger that it is because, I mean, it almost becomes a little bit like a video game to a certain extent is that just because the cars are so safe and, you know, you're sitting there watching it on TV, you almost become a little bit... Um I don't. I don't know if desensitized is the, the 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 correct word, but I think there's certainly an expectation that when something happens in modern Formula One, it's not like the '60s, it's not like the '70s, maybe even the '80s, until like that you know sort of late '80s, early '90s, when carbon fiber really started to, to be introduced. Because I mean, before that, it was basically. Uh, you know, aircraft building technology and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, that, I mean, you look at some of these old, older cars, I mean, they're beautiful to look at, but I mean, compared to uh, today's standards, I mean, some of these, uh, you know, what, what we considered, you know, like uh, what were technological marvels and they were in their own right back in the day. I mean, they're literally death traps compared to now. I mean, you go back in the 60s and the 50s until I, I'm not even sure what year they actually introduced um, you know, seat belts. I mean, that, that that's just crazy but the the other thing too that uh, you raised a good point uh, when you were talking about uh, you know how Grosjean how Roman actually extracted himself out of the car and had that uh, you know that that uh, just that you know the 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 wits about him to do that mm-hmm. i think uh, that uh, and i'm not going to take anything away from him because it happened in the blink of the eye but uh, i i think that uh, the i don't know if he knew which direction to go but my suspicion is that he just went the one direction where there was no fire <laughs> <laughs> That, yeah. that that's yep. that, that's that's just my suspicion because that was just a I, I guess it could have just been the way that the car disintegrated maybe the way that the fuel spilled and was burning was just uh, it, it must have splashed and aerosolized underneath the the, the bottom side of the car but uh, I think he must have just gone for 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 daylight I mean just it, it was obviously what he did was just all instinct I mean there's uh, no time to think about completely it completely agree. One of the uh, one of the comments that I saw, and I don't mean to interject, but this is the perfect timing. One of the comments that I'd seen from one of the medical personnel that was on staff was the only reason that they were able to assist Grosjean in that moment was because one of the track marshals was extinguishing and pushing the flames away from the cockpit. So yeah. they understood and they knew before we did that Grosjean was scrambling to get out and all they were trying to do, and you could see them spraying through the separation in the armco barrier. They were just pushing to, they're spraying to push the flames away from Grosjean just to give him that opening so that he could get out. And to your point, what he probably did know was, hey, to my immediate left is flames and to my immediate right is black sky. And I'm going to go, I'm just going to go towards that direction. And he could probably feel the heat on him mm-hmm. as well. And, and you make well, a great you saw point him, like, too. He was going like this by the yeah. time he's over there. He's, he's like, I mean, you, you, you could see him shake his hands like that. And then, yeah. you know, they, they get him to sit down. I mean, it, it is just uh, crazy. I mean, like you said, I mean, like by, by the time that we actually were able to see what was happening, I mean, all those minutes uh, later that when you see him and I mean, it, it's the car from the, the like the grandstand like side of the track, basically right opposite of where he impacted. Yeah. When, when yep. you kind of like you just see the flames and you see the, 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 the medical car there and then one of the track workers there with the fire extinguisher, you can you can see some sort of commotion and all of a sudden his head pops up over the barrier and then by the time he's actually coming over the barrier, they're actually, you know, the medical delegate is grabbing him and pulling him over like that. And by the time he gets over the barrier, over to the back of that medical car, I mean, it literally is only just a, a couple of seconds. It's maybe four or five seconds at most. Yeah. 
I, I think the I think and I saw this on Reddit as well that some folks were good enough to put a timer. They basically spliced together all of the separate angles of the incident and ran a timer. Uh, he was in that car for 27 seconds before he was able to clamber over the <laughs> remnants of that armco barrier. That's that's a remarkable amount of time. Like it felt like an eternity watching it. It must oh, be yeah. even even worse for him. And you 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 make a great point too, where we we talk I think a lot about the fact that the cars are engineered to be safer today, and I think a lot of what we actually saw and what we witnessed was by design the car separating in in some of those ways is intentional right like it's okay that the car broke in half because they're at least partially engineered to do that for a variety of different reasons now the tires coming off that is absolutely not supposed to happen yeah and and i think one of the biggest things that they're going to be investigating here is how was there a fire and when these cars are broken apart like the fuel cell itself is designed to be self-sealing yeah because it's it's, it's aircraft technology i mean it'd be the same sort of thing you're going to see in the back of a fighter plane right i mean it's a self-sealing you know tank i mean uh, the, the two things that were really frightening about that was the, the the fire is, is the big one that that for me is the most uh, major thing the, the 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 front suspension the tires separating that's the other one but given that like the, the the high impact and the massive g's of the accident sure. itself is, sure. is is understandable but uh, the, the the fire that is the absolutely uh, most frightening part but then the same thing is too the way that these cars are put together i mean the engines are bolted on to the back of the the, the survival cell and there's only about four or five like hard points where the, where they're fastened together so you can see just just the G's and the rotation on the car when when it's hitting that barrier and then going in. I mean the 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 the, the survival cells basically parallel with the the arm code, so you can see how it's snapped and separated. Yep. But the big frightening part is the way that that uh, that that fuel spread and it must have leaked. It obviously aerosolized and everything like that. That is the the, the big frightening part. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a moment here after we take another break here on the Overtime Media Network. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And we're still talking Bahrain Grand Prix. We're still talking about uh, the the Roman Grosjean accident. And uh, just to that point about uh, the, uh, the 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 accident uh, that we uh, that that we had or that we saw with uh, Roman Grosjean. I mean, some of the pictures that have come out uh, from you know some of the different uh, media outlets are just absolutely incredible. I mean, not only did the Halo uh, do a, a good job, the Hands device uh, did too. But I mean. It is just uh, amazing when you see the way that 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 car just punched a hole through the uh, through the Armco barrier. I mean, it's 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 a very it's almost this perfect little hole, right? The the, the way it punched the way through the 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 metal, but. It's it's interesting here. I I wanted to go back because uh, we we talked about it earlier in the show, just about uh, Sebastian Vettel, just uh, saying you know the the failure of these guardrails just isn't supposed to happen. Anyways, I just wanted to elaborate on that. Uh, the, the quote from Vettel is uh, as follows: "Quote, I haven't really looked at the images a lot because I didn't want to, but the main thing is he got out. I don't know to uh, be honest, but obviously the guardrail is not supposed to fail like that." It's good that the cars are safer than they used to be in the past, but the guardrail shouldn't fail and the car shouldn't catch fire in that fashion. There's lots of precautions that it doesn't catch fire, so I don't know what happened there. It's difficult to stay at this stage, but the main thing is that he got out, end quote. So, I mean, uh, I, I don't know like uh, how these, I, I mean, obviously the news that uh, Roman was okay and that, uh, that, that uh, you know, the, the, the injuries he had was minor. He was just going to, uh, for observation and examination at the, at the hospital, was uh, you know obviously a big uh, relief to these drivers, but I don't really know how you can get uh, get back in the car and uh, go and race after that. And and you know Danny Kvyat, like I said uh, earlier, I mean I don't think he can be uh, completely. I, I don't he, I don't believe he's at fault at all. Uh, you know for for that accident involving Grosjean, he was just he was just where he was. Roman pulled across. He initially said he was very angry with the, um, you know, the, the, the move that Grosjean made pulling across like that until obviously he saw the big ball of orange flames, you know, coming up in, in his mirrors. And he was obviously, um, you know, he must've uh, just been scared to hell. But I mean, the, after the restarts, uh, when we saw that incident with uh, Lance Stroll and, and, and Kvyat, uh, you know, Kvyat reverting to the Kvyat of old, to me, that kind of looked like a guy that was a little bit, off his game that I, I think that he might you know that you know Kvyat like I said earlier he has that uh, that that reputation but I think to a, to a certain extent that maybe he wasn't quite as focused because we don't 
see him make moves like that. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, poor old Lance ended up, uh, you know, upside down as well. But being a fairly low speed accident, uh, you know, he was, you know, he was okay. And I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the damage was uh, was a lot less. But uh, anyways, uh, it was interesting too. just uh, going back just to about the, the, the whole investigation that's going to, to, to come up uh, about that. Uh, Ross Braun, uh, who obviously knows a lot about this sort of uh, thing, you know, seeing it uh, from both sides as uh, as being part of the, the governing body and also uh, from the point of a team principal and an engineer and all that. You know, he talked a lot about, uh, you know, the, the the work that the FAA and the teams have done regarding, uh, you know, safety and innovations like that uh, over the years and the standards that they have. And uh, like I was saying uh, at the beginning of the show, that if there was any lingering doubts uh, about the, you know, the, 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 the halo, except for, you know, aesthetic purposes, I mean, that was that's over and done with uh, a long time ago. But, um, you know, it, it really is going to be uh, fascinating to see where this investigation goes and 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 what they uh, you know what, what they can actually dig up and what what their findings are going to be because uh, all these the, these different factors that 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 have come in and uh, you know all these situations that came from it they've got a lot of work uh, to to do and I, I you know being like such a like a worst case scenario I don't know. It's like, you know, being in engineering, we always talk about like a 50 year storm or a hundred year storm or stuff like that when it comes to like, uh, you know, engineer civil engineering standards. I mean, this, this was like one of these like freak things, but I mean, for, for, for me, like I was saying before the break, the fire is the scary part because we've all seen these, like, uh, you know, these old, you know, the, the footage of like Nicky Lauda in 76 at the Nürburgring when he spins out, has an accident, you know, the other car plows into him and just the way that that Ferrari 412 just explodes. And we all know how horribly scarred Nicky Lauda was and uh, how he barely walked. Well, I mean, he didn't walk away from that one, obviously, but I mean, the fact that uh, that he came back at all. Um, you know, he survived it at all. I mean, uh, you know, just set aside the fact that he went back to racing in Formula One afterwards. That's a completely different story. I mean, uh, the, the the fire, I think, has to be the, uh, you know, the, the, the scariest takeaway. I mean, um, well, I mean, any potential for injury, but uh, especially the fire is the big one. I mean, that was, uh, <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. I mean, usually like um, I, I watch Formula One when my kids are asleep and that's not because I don't like them watching. It's just that I just, it, it's, it's for my own selfish uh, uh, you know reasons that I enjoy watching the race with my wife. We're, we're big F one fans, and we enjoy watching it without uh, you know the kids interrupting uh, you know, or making a lot of noise. But uh, today I was up early. I was doing some stuff around the house. We had breakfast, and I was sitting there. I was drinking my coffee. I thought, well, you know, everybody's settled. You know, everybody's kind of doing their all own thing. So I got the TV on, and we got the breakfast nook is right beside our family room where the TV is. I turned it on, like, yeah, what? you know, there's no harm in putting on some Formula One. My 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 youngest is five, my oldest is twelve, and my daughter's in the middle. And I thought a little Formula One on the TV is not going to be a bad thing to expose the kids to. And then you know we have this horrible situation. All the kids are there. You know, eyes are like this big. They're like, oh my god, is that guy? I'm just like. You know, the one time literally in years that I've watched a race, I wasn't watching it live. uh, It was uh, still going on, uh, still uh, towards the end of the, uh, you know, the actual event. But still, it was just like, well, how do I explain this one away? There's, uh, you know, there's a big fire and the race has stopped. We don't know what's happening. And, you know, fortunately, I had a good, uh, good outcome. But, uh, you know, the other thing is, too, by the time they actually got this race going, I mean, we can actually talk about the race part now after all this time, but... From the time that they actually started the formation lap to actually getting, uh, you know, through that first, well, not even through the first lap, but getting through that whole red flag period, then getting going again, and then having the the, the safety car after uh, Stroll and Kvyat's incident, uh, you know, which had the safety car out for a number of laps. By the time we actually got to, to racing was nearly two hours after the initial formation lap. It was about an hour and 15 minutes. I went to go and look at it. And I don't watch uh, on 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 F1 TV. I actually like I, I I usually watch it either on TSN Demand, which is TSN is our uh, you know the sports network here in Canada, ESPN subsidiary. And usually, what I do is I either watch it on demand in the evening, or I'll I'll, I'll put it on my PVR and watch it uh, because sometimes there's a bit of delay getting it on demand. 
So I always usually set it up for three hours. So I actually never saw the last five laps because I haven't had a chance to go back and look for it on demand yet. But after three hours, it actually cut out five laps <laughs> from the end. Oh, but, no. you know, it was just uh, one of those things that, uh, but I mean, by that time, it was a bit of a foregone conclusion. And, uh, <laughs> you know, after it all being all said and done, it didn't have any implications for the title, for the drivers or the constructors. And by that point, you know, I obviously we're not, we're in any of those drivers drivers in the car I was just like okay I'm good now I don't need to go back and basically watch the Formula One equivalent of inside the two-minute warning you're up by 10 your team your, your opponent has no timeouts and you can just go and kneel down the ball and just run out the clock you know <laughs> I was good with where I was at yeah. but you know uh, Sergio Perez actually put it into uh, perspective as well that uh, you know he said at the end of the race that uh, you know Roman's accident really put his uh, DNF into uh, perspective uh, by, by, by the time it was all said and done and uh, I, I don't think that you can, you know, I, I don't think you can really, you know, make, make any criticism of a comment like that, because at, at the end of the day, you know, it, it's about going out there. I'm not, you know, like, I'm not saying you shouldn't go out there and race hard, but after, you know, a couple of hours and, uh, you know, several hundred miles of, of, of racing, you got to go home all in one piece. And, you know, you're not never going to completely eliminate that uh, that element of danger or risk. But still, you, you want all the participants both in the car and out of the car, everybody at the track, be it a, a driver, an engineer, a track worker, a spectator. You want everybody to, to, to go home in, in one piece and have enjoyed Formula One or motorsport in general for what it is and have positive memories rather than this thing that's going to be burned in our minds uh, for for a long, long time. You know, I, I, I look at the, the incident and I don't want to keep kind of going back to it, but my sense is that from an investigation perspective, there's really going to be three buckets they're ultimately going to look at it. One, was it was the accident a result of some sort of untoward or freak incident or driver error on the track? And to your earlier point, I don't think it was. I think it was contact. We see contact every single day. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't malicious. It's just one of those things. And I think the other two things they're going to have to look very closely at is one from, from your earlier comments, one how and why did the car come apart in the way it did? And why did it result in a fireball? And then two, from a track perspective, is there anything fundamentally defective with the track or with the Armco barriers? And, you know, the Bahrain circuit isn't the newest, but 2004 is pretty modern. And a mm -hmm. track built in 2004 is centuries newer technologically um, and from an engineering perspective than something built in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s. Like Bahrain has all the benefits of a modern track. And one of the other things that I, I keep thinking about too is this incident happened on a straightaway. And, and it's not like this was in a corner and there wasn't a lot of runoff area or that the runoff area was concrete or tarmac rather than gravel. And the car was like all of those things, like from, from a, a consequence perspective, if this was going to happen, it kind of happened in the right place because it was a straightaway. But the, what's kind of weird about it. And the other thought too, is, you know what, you, you described this really well you've got a straightaway and then immediately parallel to straightaway is you've got the runoff and then you have the armco barrier. And in this case, the armco barrier was actually protruding outwards towards the track because of that slip lane that you spoke to. But even if it wasn't, even if this happened a hundred feet forwards or a hundred feet back, he was going to hit the barrier. So it's, it's just a matter of the speed that he hit it at. So I'm ultimately going to be very interested in seeing what the outcome was from, from a race perspective. And, and I, I think I feel like you did, like I was pretty shook and I know the outcome mm -hmm. and I know Lewis won and I know he, he won his 95th race. And I know that it was a double podium for Red Bull and that Perez had that heartbreak on the 53rd lap when it mm -hmm. looked like he was going to get another podium to, to kind of wrap up what's, was really coming together to be possibly and arguably the best season of his career and that ultimately resulted in a double DNF for Racing Point, and I'm wearing pink tonight in solidarity <laughs> with their with their uh, efforts. But yeah, from from a race perspective, I'm I'm trying to put my thoughts together. You know, it was great to see Hamilton win, but then again, oh, from Q2 onwards, he was absolutely dominant. Um, Red Bull tried some things from a strategy perspective with Verstappen. Verstappen's obviously in a very close battle with Bottas right now, and whether Mercedes is going to admit it or not, having number, having the first and second place in the drivers' championship means a lot to them. Yep. But I think it also means a lot to Red Bull to have Verstappen pass Bottas, and I think they're now separated by only eleven points with two races left. Um, Bottas obviously had that 
unexpected um, puncture, which resulted in a pit and then ultimately leading to a tire change later where they changed only three of his tires, which is something I've never seen in Formula One before. But yeah, ultimately, I'm, I'm a little bit rattled when it came to the race and struggling to kind of articulately put my thoughts together simply because ultimately I'll never remember who won this race or what mm-hmm. the outcome of the race was. It's just, there was a horrific accident. How did it happen? And thank goodness Grosjean was ultimately, ultimately okay. And then I think the question now is, do they look at making changes to the track potentially in advance? Because we're right back at this, that track this weekend, right? Like, yep. Do they yep. ultimately look at making changes to the track? Um, from a Haas perspective, even if Grosjean is willing, is it the right thing to put him in that seat? And, you know, we saw earlier this year and it was a very different circumstance, but in MotoGP, we saw Mark Marquez, the reigning champion. He had a terrible crash and he tried to get on the bike too early and ultimately it set him back for the rest of the year. But even if Grosjean is willing, if you're the Haas team, if you're, if you're Gunther Steiner, like, is it morally right to be putting him in that seat knowing where he is emotionally and mentally? Yeah. Like, maybe this is one of those things where you have to sit him down. Like, hey, the med- the doctors clear you. It's just not right. But then again, from Grosjean, you know what? I only have two, potentially two races left in my racing career because we know he's not coming back with Haas yeah. next year. We know he doesn't have a racing seat. And he may be of the mindset that I just don't want my career to end like that. I want to end the career crossing the finish line, whether I'm in the points or not. That's not how I want to go out. And hopefully he's back in Abu Dhabi in two weeks, but I don't necessarily think that emotionally, psychologically, technically, professionally, um, humanly, I don't know that it's the right thing to put him in that seat next week. Um, I think ultimately they're going to have to start two cars, but I don't know who they're going to go to. But I just, even if he's willing, if I'm Gunther Steiner, if I'm Gene Haas, I'm not letting him race next weekend. Like we'll give you Abu Dhabi if you're medically cleared it's not right for you to be in the yeah. car in six days. Absolutely. I don't think it's a question of, uh, you know, you got to suck it up and, uh, you know, get back in the car and, you know, prove how tough you are. I mean, th- there's oh. a lot of, you know, going on up here. I mean, just to give uh, Nico Hulkenberg a call. I mean, I'm sure yeah. he'll be more than happy to go and jump in that car from there because, yep. I mean, yeah, I mean, th- that's a big thing to, to process. I mean, especially for a guy that's, you know, that was just in it, regardless of medically, if he's okay to drive, uh, you know, it, like you say, I mean, psychologically, is, is he ready to do that? I mean, or, or does he need a bit of time away from it? I mean, they're, I mean, they got some hard questions to, to ask and uh, they're going to need some, you know, extraordinarily qualified people to help answer those questions. Because I don't think this is one of these, um, you know, one of these situations where, where Gene Haas and Gunther Steiner say, oh, you know, you're, you're good to go. We, we think you're fine. Or on the flip side, Roman say, you know what, guys, I'm OK. I'm ready to get back in the car. I, I, I think that the, and I, I don't think either party would be reckless like that. I, I mean, I, I think in modern times, I think people are a little bit more cognizant about things like this. Totally. But I, I, I think they need somebody that's a little bit uh, neutral, a, a little bit kind of removed, that has a little bit of distance from the situation to, to to make a judgment call on that and, and render an opinion and say, guys, this is what, uh, what what should or should not happen. Anyways, I know you said it was uh, you know hard to articulate your thoughts on the race, but we're going to try and do so after we take one <laughs> final break and uh, wrap it up with uh, some clothing, closing thoughts. So uh, don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. Well, welcome back to Scuderia F1. The podcast is always up to speed with Formula One. And yes, we are trying to process what happened in Bahrain. And just for the sake of it, uh, let's just run down the, uh, the, the the final race classification, the points paying uh, results anyways. As you mentioned, uh, Lewis Hamilton won this uh, race, then followed by a pair of Red Bulls, Max Verstappen and uh, Alex Albon. Another solid uh one two well not a, a one two finish but uh, a double uh, points uh, finish for the McLaren in fourth and fifth with Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz six we had uh, Pierre Gasly another solid uh, result for him then we had Danny Ricardo in seventh Valtteri Bottas in eighth Esteban Ocon in ninth and Charles Leclerc in P10 for the Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel boy was he he was way down there P13 and uh what was lapped both Ferraris were lapped um by the time it was done. I mean, uh, we, we'd seen a little bit of more promising results from them uh, recently, but uh, this was another race for them to forget. Uh, on the, the, the driver's uh, side, of course, uh, Lewis has wrapped this up uh, already. 332 for the uh, the reigning and uh, current world champion. 
And uh, we have uh, Valtteri Bottas, like you mentioned, 11 points uh, separating him from... Actually, it's 12 points. Uh, Valtteri on 201, Max with uh, 189. And I think that's going to be really interesting to watch that uh, through the last two races of the year. And I want to get your thoughts on this uh, before we wrap it up. Then uh, fourth and fifth in championship is uh, Ricardo and then uh, Perez. And that's that's an interesting one, too, actually. Fourth, fifth, and sixth, you have Ricardo Perez and Charles Leclerc, and there's only four points separating the, the, the three of those drivers, so that could change before the end of the year. And then looking over on the constructors' uh, side, we have uh, uh, Mercedes, uh, uh, Red Bull, and now that interesting midfield battle between McLaren Racing Point and Renault. Obviously, P4 and 5 for uh, McLaren today has opened up that uh, gap a little bit, and the double DNF for Racing Points, that's... Uh, that's looking more in favor of uh, McLaren. Uh, you know that that's 171 points uh, compared to 154 for racing points. So this one might be sorting itself out uh, a little bit. But going back to the drivers' uh, championship here, I think it's going to be interesting to watch uh, Bottas and uh, and and uh, Max Verstappen over these last two races. And I'm really pulling for Max because the the, the Red Bull it's a good car. It's not a great car compared to the W11, which at the front of the pack is obviously a great car in traffic. Maybe not as great because that's definitely designed to be out in front. But I don't want to take away from um, from, from Valtteri Bottas. Obviously, he's done quite a bit. But, I mean, when compared to Max Verstappen, I think Max has been more consistent. I think he's done a lot more in an in, in inferior car to Bottas. And I don't want to say that that, that Bottas is just going to get some runner-up in the World Championship by default. I don't want to suggest that at all. But I think just on terms of um, consistency, I mean, Bottas, some of the re- results that he've ha- he's had this year has obviously been good. And some of them haven't been great. Sometimes it's been his fault. Sometimes maybe it's been a, a call or judgment call from the pit wall. And sometimes it's just been circumstance on the track. So I just want to get to get, get your two cents on that. Do, do you agree just on the just w- w- when you measure these drivers, uh, you know, head to head? Do you think Max has had a more consistent uh, 2020 season compared to Valtteri Bottas? Yes or no? I don't think there's... Let me ask answer this in about the most roundabout way possible. <laughs> I don't think there's any question that Max has had a better year than Valtteri Bottas. And I'm not suggesting this is 2018 again from a Bottas perspective when he finished fifth in the Drivers' Championship behind yeah. uh, Raikkonen and Vettel and Verstappen and Lewis. But he clearly has what is leaps and bounds above the rest of the field in terms of a weapon in terms of that Mercedes car he has two race wins to Lewis's 11 race wins and it's not as though Hamilton's winning races based on team orders and strategy Hamilton's just flat out out racing him he's out qualifying him he's putting down consistently faster times in free practice he's massively more consistent in the races and if you flash back to any number of races this year Bottas has made consistent mistakes, which have cost him points. They've cost him positions. Max hasn't been perfect. But if I was going to build a team right now around a driver and Hamilton was off the board, I'm going to build that team around Max, knowing that there's baggage that comes with that, knowing (laughs) that, hey, you know, there's a certain personality there. His father's going to come and he's going to want to be around the pits Uh, from a from a build perspective he's very particular he's outspoken about things that maybe aren't necessarily politically correct in 2020 but if I was going to build a team today I'm going to build it around Max I'm not building it around Valtteri and that's not just because Max is more charismatic and potentially more marketable than Valtteri is I just think he's a better driver and he's hungrier and that said you know obviously Valtteri's never been in a position where he has a championship contending car and he's the lead driver but he's had every opportunity to win because mm-hmm. Mercedes gives him that opportunity. So, you know, obviously Max has had a great win or great season this year, which was obviously punctu- punctuated by that victory in Great Britain. Uh, but I think Bottas' season has been a disappointment. And we talked about this a little bit earlier. Like right now, if you look at the standings, I think there's 11, 12 points separating he and Max Verstappen. And that place means everything to Red Bull. And and I, I know Mercedes isn't saying it, but I think they're scared and they're terrified that they're not going to finish 1-2 despite having what is overwhelmingly the best car on the grid this year. And I think the only other comment that I had, and you touched on this a couple of minutes ago, is if you look at the constructors, obviously Mercedes running away with it. They have twice as many points as Red Bull 
Mm-hmm. Twice as many points. They they are crushing them overall. So again, it reinforces how shocking it is that the gap between Bottas and Max is so small. I think the one thing that I really take away from this right now is racing points. You know what? They've got a punter's chance of finishing third. They'd have to have some really great race results next weekend in Bahrain and then in Abu Dhabi. They could still finish third. But ultimately, if you look at their season, everything's kind of broken badly for them. And they're still in a reasonably good place, right? Obviously, you know, we we, we know Perez had a couple of race um, so that he sat out because of the COVID situation. Uh, Lance was in a position to potentially win a race and bring home 25 points before that front end damage resulted in tire degradation, which cost him serious points. He was in another race where he was in contention to win before and he had a DNF. Like That team, everything is kind of broken wrong for Racing Point this year, but they're still fifth in the championship. And that's one of the reasons I'm very excited to see what they could do next year because oh, yeah, yeah, not necessarily yeah. as confident that Red Bull is going to come back next year in a better position, especially knowing that their engine situation is going to be a giant question mark are they going to be able to buy the honda ip are they going to have to forge a new relationship with a new engine supplier and if so how much of their resources are they going to have to commit towards wedding that engine to the new chassis for 22 there's a lot of questions there but yeah ultimately i think max has had a way better much 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 better season than Bottas has and if i'm mercedes i'm i'm disappointed that we couldn't do more with both of our drivers. And that doesn't mean it's going to be a one-two every single race, but there should there should be significantly more space between Max and Bottas in the championship. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I said this on a sh- the, the, the show a couple of weeks ago, and again, no disrespect intended to, uh, to, to Valtteri Bottas, but just putting it in cold, you know, the cold light of day, that Valtteri Bottas is to Lewis Hamilton what Rubens Barrichello was to Michael Schumacher and to a lesser extent what David Coulthard was to Mika Hakkinen. And and let's be fair, people who are fans of Mercedes are going to be fans of Mercedes because of Lewis. People who were fans of uh, Ferrari back in the day, I count myself as one, were fans because of Michael Schumacher, not because of Rubens Barrichello. And the same with, uh, you know, McLaren and Hakkinen. You know, I mean, and and the thing is that if, um, you know, if, if they were building that team now and there was no Lewis as an option, you had the option to put Max in there. Yeah, I mean, the the people that would be, you know, cheering for McLaren, or sorry, for Mercedes would be, you know, Max's fans. And, you know, the, he's the guy that, uh, li- like you say, I mean, he is a guy that you're going to, that, that is going to have people cheering for him for a number of reasons. And, you know, honestly, being Dutch myself, I, I, I understand the, the, you know, the, the mentality and the personality and a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of the things that he says and does, I mean, it's just, you know, <laughs> that's my world. That's my people. I get it. Uh, but also from the, 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 you know, the point of view of, just you know, I mean, he has all the hallmarks of a, a world champion, given the the, the 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 car to do it, because I mean, he is doing more with less, and you know, he's doing with that Red Bull and, and driving it to like he's he's pushing the envelope uh, to use a you know to to use a, a metaphor, uh, just like uh, we saw a couple of years ago with Charles Leclerc in his rookie season in the the the, the Sauber Alfa Romeo, he was pushing that car to the limit and beyond, and what he's doing at, at Ferrari, in all honesty, so. I mean that that that's what you get. You get guys that are you know phenomenally talented drivers. I mean, I I maintain you could put a guy like Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, or or Charles Leclerc. You could put them in a washing machine, and he'd still yeah. be out there yep. setting really really fast lap times and being going faster than than some of these other guys. I mean, obviously I'm that's hyperbole, and I'm uh, you know exaggerating quite a bit. But you know I, I try to make a point that uh, that there are some. I mean, they're all good drivers at Formula One. Don't get me wrong. It's just that some guys are, you know, elites of the elite drivers. And, you know, Max, Lewis, Charles, th- those are the guys that really stand apart. So, and just, and, and let me be clear I'm not advocating for a second that Max would be a good fit for, for Mercedes. I think, <laughs> I think the current formula is perfect. You have your designated number one driver and you have a second driver who doesn't need to be told that he's not the lead driver to be content. I just, I think from my perspective, I'm just disappointed with what Bottas has had to do, has has been able to do this year with that package. And I, mm-hmm. I think he's made some brazen mistakes that I don't believe that Max would have made given the same circumstances. And we talk about the fact that there's only 12 points between those two drivers. It's you amazing. Know, yeah, like Max Max has had three retirements this year. Three retirements due to mechanical failure. If if not for those three retirements, like he would clearly be in second place in the championship. Yep. The, the only other thing and I you know I didn't realize this until right now, but did you know Racing Point has more constructors points this year than 
Alfa Romeo, Haas, and Ferrari combined. Isn't <laughs> that remarkable? Amazing. That is remarkable. And I think it's exciting to see what this team is going to be, Leo. What with the investment yeah. that Lawrence Stroll and his people have put into it, that consortium, you know, the rebrand and the switch to uh, Aston Martin next year. And you're getting a guy that's been at uh, Red Bull, been at Ferrari, four-time world championship. I mean, Sebastian Vettel, and, you know, not not to take away the, from Checo Perez, but he's not Sebastian Vettel. I mean, he's going to help bring all those experiences I mean, and I keep saying that, uh, you know, Lawrence Stroll is not just putting his money into Formula One just because he doesn't have anything better to do. I mean, he's doing it for a reason. And I think that it's going to be an exciting project to watch to see what, where this team goes, not just next year, but in the years to come. But, uh, you know, I, I was just going to say now, I don't really, uh, yeah, I don't know how to wrap this show up because there's been so many things uh, going on. And that, that's probably the, the, the best way to, to, to wrap it up yeah. after all this. I mean, uh, you know, Lewis won the race. Roman's okay. Uh, the you know there, there's an interesting situation going down to the wire now for runner up in the, uh, the the world championship, and just to actually maybe this is the best way to uh, to, to maybe wrap this one up. You said you couldn't see maybe uh, Max going to Mercedes right now. Who knows what will happen in the future? But I sometimes wonder. I sometimes wonder. Several years ago now, when Total Wolf offered Max the opportunity to go to to Red or sorry to to Mercedes in the role of a reserve driver before he committed to uh, to to Red Bull, I mean obviously that's worked out for Max. Obviously it's worked out for Red Bull. Whether you know like uh, that that's where he wins a world title if he ever does, or if uh, you know. <laughs> I, I always say that if uh, you know Total Wolf drives a dump truck load of money up to uh, <laughs> to, to Max Verstappen's house, then uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure that Max would uh, take that opportunity to uh, to, to, to go. Because uh, I mean, you know, who knows? We, we keep saying, okay, well, we never think we'd see Lewis uh, go and break all those uh, records that we've seen him do over the past couple of years. Max is young enough, and uh, who knows if he ended up in that situation. Maybe he's that guy 10, 15 years from now sitting here. Oh, we never thought that Lewis's records would be broken so quickly, but uh, who knows. But that, that'll be a discussion to have for another day. <laughs> All right. Well, I, that's it. I think that's uh, you know all the time that we have for tonight. I, I'm pretty much uh, out of uh, topics uh, to discuss. So thank you all for downloading and listening to the show and watching uh, on YouTube. You can go and uh, check us out there because we're posting the video from the shows there each and every show. So uh, make sure you go and uh, look us up, Scootery F1 Podcast on YouTube. And if you want to get in touch, easiest way to do so is on Twitter at Scooteria F1 Pod and also email uh, Scooteria F1 Pod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's a wrap. There we go. Mark representing Mercedes there on the other screen. (laughs) And uh, that's great. Well, thanks very much, guys. Take care. We'll be back uh, sometime this week with the regular show. Until then, have a great Monday. Back to work tomorrow. And that's it. We're out. Ciao.